Uh, I want to introduce I want to introduce our speaker this morning, uh, a dear friend of mine. I'm sure that each one of you has had people who have uh, played a role in, in your life. Maybe they were in your life for only three or four years, five or six years, but the impact they have just goes on so long. It's just so significant. That's true in our individual lives. It's also true in the life of an institution, like a church. A person can come into a church, a worship leader or a pastor, and just spend two or three years, but the impact of that person can go on for years and years to come. Um, Abel Sisko, who is my dear friend, has had both that kind of impact on my life, and he has had that kind of impact on this church. He is the guy who brought me to Jesus. He's the one who preached the gospel to me for the first time, who first got me to walk into a church and who walked out the Christian life before me um, in a way that I learned so much about what it meant to be a Christ follower. Um, At the same time, he was the first worship leader at Grace Chapel. When Grace Chapel was planted by a man named Mike Shue 20 years ago, uh, Abel was the worship leader there. And so um, he spent a short time uh, in the lifespan of Grace Chapel with us, but his impact, for good or ill, you are experiencing uh, some of Abel, I think, every week because of how he has shaped the liturgy and the worship of this place. Um, a unique thing about Abel's life is that he was, he's been out of ministry uh, for a short time, but he's been called back. And uh, what he's been called to do is when Mike Shue, the planting pastor of this church, left, he went to go pastor a church in, um, in Vancouver. British Columbia. And he has now called Abel. He's getting the band back together again. He's calling Abel to go with him to serve as a a worship leader and and pastor of discipleship up in the church in in Vancouver. And so Abel is here kind of connecting with supporters, raising support, just hanging out with me. And I said, you you should preach for the people, if only to give me a week off. And so... (laughs) Uh, he's going he's gonna to come up and talk to you. And here's the thing. When someone's talking at a church for the first time in a long time, you can give them a great gift by opening up your heart to them, by giving them a listening ear. And so I invite you to do that for my good friend and a good friend of this church. Come on up, Abel, and bring us God's word. Well, well, well. My, my heart is so full being here, I can't even begin to tell you this place has been such, a, such an oasis to us in dry times, even after we left, and so many of you have been so kind to us over the years, and I, I, I mean, I, I want to cry thinking about it, because you guys have been uh, such a lifeline when we needed it. Um, I love you, Ben. I love so many of you that I haven't gotten to see in a long time. So tonight, I'm having a gathering here at 630 come. The only financial pitch I will make is I've got a website. Go to it if you want. If you don't, that's okay. I just want to get to see you, especially if I know you. I, I, and if I don't know you, come. I want to get to meet you and talk to you and tell you the story that's crazy about God answering prayer to lead us to, to Vancouver. So come if you can. Just come up and let me know if you're coming so I can get some kind of local fare like runzas or vows or something like that, and uh, we'll have a party. So, um, we're going to read from 
the book of Jonah, and if you would, let's stand for the reading of God's word. This is Jonah 3, and we're going to read the entire chapter. It's not super long. It's only 10 verses. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose, and he went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have uh, given us your word. It is quick and powerful and sharper than any blade that can divide uh, on the earth. It, It cuts to the source of who we are. We ask that you would use your word to to show us yourself today because we know that you know us by letting us read it. Father, we pray that you would illumine our hearts, illumine our minds, that we would see you in this word, Father, and let us be changed by it as we see it and explore it. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. It says uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. So it implies that there is a prequel to this, uh, this story. And some of you know Jonah, some of you don't. You may or may not have grown up in church uh, studying this story. But in the beginning of the book, Jonah is a prophet of God. He is uh, someone who proclaims the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and his word. And his people, the Israelites, are captive. They've been uh, captured and taken over by the Assyrians, a pretty mean and brutal regime that was definitely the strongest in the region, and you could argue the strongest in the world at the time. They were brutal. And God knew of their evil, and he wanted Jonah to go and proclaim to them that trouble's coming. Uh, We find out later that Jonah was not a fan of the Ninevites at all. He wanted God to stick it to them and not forgive them and not uh, offer them any kind of of, uh, mercy. 
And so instead of doing what uh, God said in the beginning, when God said, get up and go to Nineveh, he went in the other direction as fast as he could. He probably joined some Phoenicians who were the seafaring dudes of the time and went as far and as fast away from Nineveh as he could. Well, we we know that in a, the, everyone knows the next part of the story where he's swallowed up by a giant sea beast of some kind living in its thoracic sack or something. Um, he's there's a storm that happens before before we get to the the giant sea beast. When the storm happens, all the the people on the ship, none of them are worshipers of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they say, Jonah, you need to start praying to this God of yours that the things will calm down. He does pray, and he also says, just toss me overboard, because I'm the, I'm the source of the problem. Well, Jonah is swallowed up, and as he's swallowed up, he begins to pray, something that's sort of like a psalm. And in that prayer, he does something that is pretty interesting in verse 7 of chapter 2, where he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And it goes on a little bit after that. But that's, it's so important that he begins to remember in the midst of that duress, in the midst of that problem, he remembers the Lord. We'll see in a minute how that begins to change him. But in that turning, pivoting moment, when he begins to remember the Lord in the midst of all that hatred and whatever it is that he has for what either the Assyrians have done to him personally, we don't know, or his people, his tribe, God is softening that. God is softening that so that he is, it's melting away and he is remembering who God is, who he is, what God is. And uh, then, you know, he gets uh, spit up on the dry land. And we've, we find ourselves in our passage today. So, there's this interesting thing, this interesting rhythm in the book of, of Jonah. You have, let's just split it into two sections for a second. There are four chapters, okay? Split it into the first two chapters and then the, the second two chapters. If you look at the first chapter and you see verses 2, 3, and 6, you'll see something that if you were to do an overlay on chapter 3, it looks almost the same. There's this word in Hebrew called kum. And kum means get up. Almost every time it's used in the Bible, and it's used a lot in the Bible, it means get up. And that's about it. Sometimes it means a few other things in terms of establishing covenant and uh, some kind of action that God requires. But most of the time it just means get up. And you see this... This pattern, uh, not only here in Jonah that I'm going to point out, but you also see it in other places in Scripture where God is saying, get up or arise and go, or do something. Get up and do something. And in, uh, in the first section that I mentioned, chapters 1 and 2, verse 2, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and said, get up and go, or arise and go. And what is... In verse 3, we see get up and go again, but now instead of Jonah obeying and going to Nineveh, where does he go? He disobeys and goes the other way as fast and as far as he can. Next time we see it is in verse 6 of chapter 1. 
where we see someone who does not acknowledge the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, acknowledging the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the sea captain. And he's saying to Jonah, get up. He's not saying get up and go, but he's saying get up and pray. Get up and pray. Get up and pray to this God of yours that he will save us, that we'll be saved from this horrible calamity. All right, now let's mirror that with, or just even put an overlay of chapter three and see what that looks like on top of it. We know that's the second part. Chapter three happens after what? It happens after the whale, right? It happens after he's had this time where he's remembered who God is, who God, uh, what God is, what he has done. Now in verse two of chapter three, the word of the Lord came to Jonah again. Sorry, it's catching my breath. Well, Mona was praying that God would hear something and smell it in his nostrils, and now you hear my nostrils, I guess. So anyway, so we're in, in chapter three, verse two, the second time around, what happens? We see Jonah getting the word of the Lord again, get up and go, arise and go. This time, instead of running the other way, he obeys, doesn't he? And he goes to Nineveh because there's been a heart change. Something has happened. Something is different. And uh, then you see again in verse six of chapter three, Another person that doesn't pay homage to or acknowledge the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's the king of Assyria. What does it say about him? It says, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, he got up, he removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And if you don't know what that means in the ancient Israelite world, that was just a sign of repentance. That was a sign that they were turning around and changing from their evil ways. It, it said that these are a pretty brutal people here. History, you know, that bears out with history too. Um, but there's something about this because the first time you see this, this pagan ship captain who's telling Jonah, <laughs> a prophet of God, you need to pray to God. Listen to God. Obey God. Listen to him. And then the second time we get a guy who's a pagan king and now he's repenting because the obeyed word of God has gone to him. The word of God has been spoken to him in in, in a way that followed what God told Jonah to do the the second time, right? And so we see him bowing down in humility. All right, so when I was growing up far away in a magical land of mystery and wonder called Alabama, (laughs) if you were of the middle or lower classes, you used a term called fixin' to. Son. It's time to go practice your Bach minuet number two. Dad, I'm fixing to. In that case, it only means future, about to, I'm going to do it. But I think fixing to has this flavor of preparation. Because I think it comes from fixing to. So if, if, if we're going to do something, we're fixing 
the things around us to make it happen. We're preparing something so that the next thing that we're supposed to do can actually walk itself out. Um, And so this get up and go theme that's in scripture, this arise and go theme is so important, I think, as I've seen it over the years, because it's it speaks to how God loves us in the preparation stage. He loves us when we're getting ready. And we don't feel that at that stage sometimes, do we? We feel very distant from God. We, we see other people going around us. We see other people praying around us. We see other people repenting around us. And we don't, we feel ill-equipped to do it because our intimacy with God is so distant sometimes, isn't it? When we, when we get familiar with our own sin and our own hearts, we, we shy away from God, don't we? We don't want to go near him because we, we, we want to hide and say, God, I'm so thankful that you're good for them, 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 and them, and them. Thank you for making this beautiful world, but I don't believe that you have something to say to me. And this is part of my personal journey over the last few years, for sure. Um, Having gone to seminary and master's degree, blah, 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 hermeneutical dudes and whatever. um, I, and years in ministry, I... I feel this distance from God and I felt this distance from God from just some blows that I took in life and uh, I'd quit praying for me, I think. Um, Thinking that it was either selfish or I didn't want God to see me because I was just familiar with my own sin and I just became more and more just shameful and distant from him, I think. And And it was a sad state of affairs because I knew in my head that that's not what was supposed to happen, but it was kind of just an outworking of how things felt. There were, time, there were good moments, but overall it was a, a dark, difficult period. I had uh, acute depression for a while, and then COVID with the lockdowns, kapow, it was like steroid depression. It was bad. I mean, I don't know if you've been to that place, but I I have so much more sympathy and empathy for anyone who goes through any kind of depression, whether it's clinical or not. And I didn't want to take out the trash. I mean, it was, it was debilitating. And so when you say to someone who's in a state like that, get up, go. I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to, I didn't want to hear, I mean, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate the sentiment. But I didn't know what to do with it, I guess is more accurate. What do I, how, how, do I, how do I act on, I can't even get up, much less go, much less repent, much less even pray, praise God. I'm trying, but I'm not even to the place where I can get up yet. There's, it's crazy when I came in this morning, Crystal started practicing the song, Arise My Soul Arise, and they're going to sing it a little bit later. And I, I had no idea they were going to do it, but it's, it's, she said she was doing it for me because I've sung it 7,000 times, and it's a great song. But there's this one line in it, Arise my soul, arise, and shake off your guilty fears. 
there's something about it when Jonah was in that place where my life was fainting and it's so simple. I remembered God. It was so simple. I remembered God. You remember who he is. You remember what he's done, his works of old, the, the handiwork of his, of his will, creating everything, sustaining everything. That should change our perspective and not make it about me and my pity party and you know how you just get all... Uh, I, I didn't like the place where my heart was getting. It was getting cynical. It was getting pessimistic. It was getting like an old gnarled tree that was just not pretty anymore with dead limbs. It was, but there was life because of Jesus, right? There's always life in the tree if Jesus is there. And I think there's this, <laughs> this, this sense in which the, the difficulty of getting up to go is aided by honesty. Just honesty with God. And that's hard too. Because even if you had come to me in the, the, the depth of my depression, I don't know if I could have been honest. But remembering God helps us to be honest. If we don't want to pray, what do we pray? We pray that God would make us want to pray. Right? I mean, that's, that's where we should be. We should, we should, if we remember who God is, we know that he will still love that. God loves to take into his arms broken people. And I'm not talking about sexy broken, like, I'm so broken. I'm a Christian who is very humble. And I mean, we, we, we have this thing where we just, we want to kind of flaunt our brokenness and whatever. But I mean, it's like, Dude, when you're really broken, you're like, you know, I'm sitting in my own spit here. It's just, I'm, I'm not pretty right now. There's nothing pretty about this. Um, so, where do we go? What do we do? For the getting up and going process, we remember God. So let me encourage you in that. As someone that God has graciously allowed to remember him again, let's... Let's, let's not forget him with ferocity. Remember God with excitement. Remember who he is. And then from there, ask him. Ask him humbly. Just ask him, God, I don't want to pray, but I remember who you are. I remember that you're a God that, listen, Jonah he wanted the Ninevites to rot in hell. He didn't like those guys at all. But he remembered, and the reason he ran away was because he knew that God was a God who was loving and long-suffering and forgiving. And he didn't want them to get that. If he is a God like that, then he is safe. He's safe to go to. It may be scary. I, you know, Mike always used to give the quote from Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, you know, is, is Aslan safe? And uh, Mr. Beaver would, or Miss Beaver would always say to Lucy, he's not safe, but he's good. So when I say he's safe, he's safe in the big picture. You might get some bumps and bruises along the way, but he is good. And that's the thing that is so comforting. If he's good, then he is someone that you can go to and say, God... I am 
absolutely without the resources right now to say, to even begin to say, help me get up. I want you to make me want to get up. Help me to do that. And then as you do that, Father, let me begin to envision and imagine again what it's like to go. And the process for us going to Vancouver really is a lot of that. I, I, I came, you know, I came to Jonah in a Sunday school class a few weeks ago after we were already on the way to, to Vancouver. And I was just going, yeah, God, this is it. This is, this is how we go through this process. Even if, if, if your mission today, if God is sending you on mission, it might be the mission to speak to the G7 countries or a World Economic Forum and save the world. But it also could be that your mission is to take out the trash. Or do something very simple, maybe, who knows what it is. But whatever it is that God is, is assigning you, he will empower you to do that. And if he's going to empower you to do it, don't quit on him. Embrace him. This is not the time to quit on God. It's the time to, to run into his arms when he wants to hug you. This all happens because of the one who took all of my sin, all of your sin, all of the sin and depression and depth and mire and muck and everything that we can possibly get our feet stuck in and not get out of the ground. Everything like that, every bit of that, Jesus took it all on his back. And if he took it, it's not on us, right? It's not on us. Cheer up. You're more sinful than you even know. But at the same time, his grace is greater than we can even imagine. Uh, Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would uh, show us your grace today. We ask that you would show us your mercy today. We ask that you would go in and speak to those parts of our hearts that have cobwebs that are dark and no one has shined light on them in a long time. We pray that you would show us the ability to get up. Give us the want to if we don't have the want to. And then give us the ability to get up and go on whatever mission you have called us to, Father, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your kingdom. In the powerful and strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.